Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Here's your host, Miles Beacom. Hello, I'm Miles Beacom with the South Dakota Hall of Fame, and I've got a special treat for us today. It's an interview with Ryan McFarlane, and he was inducted into the South Dakota Hall of Fame in 2021. Ryan, welcome to, and thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It should be fun. Yeah, and it will be because you have just <laughs> an incredible story. And could you start by just kind of telling about your childhood uh, and how you uh, got to South Dakota and just share okay. that, please. Sure. Yep. Uh, born in Indiana. So um, both my parents were school teachers. We lived in a little farming town, a couple thousand people, you know, nothing but cornfields and humidity and mosquitoes. So we moved here when I was 10 years old um, to Custer. So to me, I mean, this was like a dream come true. We were moving to the mountains and there were like ghost towns and gold mines and the whole cowboys and Indians lore. And um, so I was, I was excited. I couldn't wait to get out here. And, and really I've been in love with the Black Hills ever since. Well, reading about your past too, it sounds like your uh, father was quite an individual that liked to try different things. And can you share some of the things that your father did and how you picked up from those things as well? Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, my dad uh, goes all the way back to actually my grandpa raced uh, stock cars, so old dirt track cars and everything. So my dad grew up hot rodding cars and, and just kind of a motorsports enthusiast. So I grew up in that environment. Um, when I was in kindergarten, you know, my, I'd go to school the first half of the day and the second half of the day my grandma would pick me up and take me out and I'd, you know, hang out with my grandpa in the race shop and, and uh, so it just was a, around mechanical things a lot and that whole, um, um, I guess, tinkering and modifying and trying to um, get some performance out of a machine. That's what, you know, racing really does. It pushes the envelope of what's possible. It's a, a perfect, I guess, maybe breeding ground for entrepreneurism is because you're always trying, how do I uh, get a little bit more out of something? But so, um, you know, that was a big influence there. And then my dad, um, when I was young, he started a motorcycle shop. Uh, he's a motorcycle enthusiast and, and um, so spent a lot of time at the motorcycle shop and then just on toys. My dad also loves to play. So, you know, we always had the funnest toys in the neighborhood, um, little dune buggies and go-karts and dirt bikes and, and everything. So that's just been a big part of my whole childhood. Um, and then uh, when we moved to South Dakota, really just, you know, that was ingrained. And then all of a sudden you've got all this forest service land and roads and trails to explore on dirt bikes. And again, just a kind of a dream come true compared to kind of some flat cornfields back in Indiana. Ryan, how was the move from the dirt bikes to mountain bikes and, and trail bikes? and? Oh, you know, <clears throat> let's see, I got into mountain biking. I always had bicycles too, but um, um, I had been racing cars out here at Black Hills Speedway for a couple years and and um, that take that's a lot of work, <laughs> you know, just a relentless uh, effort each week and Friday night racing and clean up all weekend and and um, 
I just kind of got burnt out on it. I was, uh, you know, working full time trying to do that and, and cost a lot of money and I was running out of money and finally just sold everything and said, I need something easier. <laughs> and I uh, kind of got into the mountain biking thing and really fell in love with it just from the sheer simplicity. You know, it, uh, it connected to my roots of riding dirt bikes. And, um, and then there was just kind of this purity and essence of the simplicity of a bicycle that, you know, you go do 15 minutes worth of maintenance instead of many hours and then uh, go enjoy the bike for hours. And, you know, the pace is slower on a mountain bike than a motorcycle, so I was getting a little bit different experience, too, of just enjoying the, the, uh, the Black Hills at a different pace, too. Uh, you just see things differently moving at a different pace. So. And one of the things that uh, you're really known for, but you <coughs> have a number of inventions out, inventions out there, but uh, one is the Strider bike. And how did that come about? Uh, you know, that, yeah, that just really a Saturday afternoon project. Um, I had gotten back into dirt biking um, about the same time I became a father. So, um, and had just really fallen back in love with dirt biking again. Um, had a buddy that um, we bought new dirt bikes and we were out there riding and it just kind of felt like a lot of childhood coming back. And so, um, you know, that was my, I guess passion was really alive for that sport right at that time. And, and um, so then really that was front of mind with my little boy and uh, so I think he, you know, he learned his colors by what the colors of the dirt bike manufacturers were. And I think he learned most of his numbers by learning all the, all the uh, different supercross racers of the day and everything. So we were, we were pretty into it, but I just excited to get him riding and kind of bought all the stuff out there that people typically do had tricycles and training wheel, little bikes with training wheels, you know, and different scoot toys and uh, but the tinkerer and the racer in me that's always trying to eke out a little bit more performance, you know, was think, ah, this is taking too long. You know, there's got to be some better way to speed this process up. And, and um, so I just, uh, one day I just dug into that bike and, and said, there's, there's something here that we're missing because, uh, uh, you know, he's still struggling on this and the answer can't be just to wait until he's older. And... Uh, so I started just analyzing that little bike relative to his size. You know, being a, a bicyclist, I understand kind of how important fit is as an adult. And, you know, and if you look at the racing um, niche of race of mountain biking or road biking, I mean, they adjust their bikes by millimeters and, and uh, you know, they try to save grams they, uh, to really dial a bike in for the performance of an adult. Uh, competitor but little kids bikes um, if you really analyze them they're they're horribly fit to the kids half the little bikes that they look small compared to us as adults but they weigh almost as much as the kids do and and um, the size is uh, not even close to what would be ideal for the child size but um, we just kind of for whatever reason we've all just missed it and I missed it I mean I bought all that stuff for my son and it wasn't until I really was watching him interact with all this that it just finally, 
I mean, this is after, you know, months and months of watching him, trying to encourage him on these things, really, it finally sunk in. It's like, stuff is not sized right, and it's not focusing on the proper skills. And so that's when I just started digging in and said, okay, well, knowing his size at 30 inches tall with a 12 inch inseam, what would the bike have to be? What size would it have to be? And, and really, I took it, a look at that and then looked at his bike and you realize, okay, it's got a 16 inch seat height and his legs are only 12 inches long. Well, There's no work. way he's touching the ground. There's no way he's gonna be comfortable on this bike. And uh, you know, it weighs 18 pounds and he only weighs 20. Um, so I just started really having these revelations of what he's dealing with. And, um, and then I thought, well, if I were in his spot as an adult, this would be me getting a 120 pound bicycle for my first biking experience, a 120 pound bike with a seat height, like up to my chest, five feet tall, uh, with a single speed. And then, uh, you know, going out and trying to ride that. And I'm, I'm thinking there's probably not a, an adult in this world that would go do that and think, well, this is fun. I want to be <laughs> involved in this sport. Um, it'd probably be the worst experience ever. And, and uh, I'd be taking up golf or something else something. instead of riding. So it was kind of this, just this revelation that um, we're, not, we're not presenting kids the right machine for them to really have a good experience and fall in love with this sport. So that's what I set out to do is uh, need to size it to fit him exactly at the size that he's at and then I need to simplify it um, both in weight and complexity to meet him where he's at in his weight and in his you know mental and physical abilities and um, so that uh, after a lot of hacksaw <laughs> work uh, we ended up with what led to the Strider bike. So once you had it and your son I imagine loved it because he could handle it. He could yep. he could uh, maneuver it around. Um, at what point did you say, I've got something here that I could take yeah. and really market? Yeah. Uh, you know, and that was, this started out just trying to get him on a bike. I had another business at the time and everything. So it really was, uh, in a way, I was kind of slow to the table at this because it was uh, many months later. But he was so mobile on that bike that we started taking it with us wherever we went. You know, we used to take a stroller or, you know, I'd carry him if we were out somewhere and, you know, trying to go for a walk with a toddler is almost impossible. They're just dawdling all the time. So, um, you know, rather than carry him or take a stroller with us, we would just start taking his bike because with that bike, he was more mobile than we were. I mean, he could go faster than we could walk at this point. This is a two and a half year old. So, um, and he was good at it. Well, so then what happened is people would see him out in public. So, I mean, we even went to the Central States Fair and he's on his little bike weaving through crowds and everything and, um, and, strangers would just come up to us and just, hey, where'd you, what is that? How old is he? Where'd you get that bike? And, and um, so it be started becoming very obvious. There was uh, interest and demand. And I remember kind of the day that I finally decided to act on it. It was probably actually just like one block over here. 
I had parked and we were walking to a restaurant. He was on his bike and he's zipping around, doing circles around me and everything. And, and the cars were stopped at the light. And um, there was a woman sitting in the passenger seat that had, was leaning all the way over her husband in the driver's seat. And they had the window down there, both watching him on the sidewalk and the light had turned green and none of the cars were moving and I was witnessing what was happening on the street and it was just that was kind of like the point where he's okay the light went off and he said, <laughs> I, I gotta I've do got to do something with it. I got to figure out how to move this forward this is just uh, the interest is too great here so so that was 16 years ago yeah yep. so between then and now, what were some of the challenges you had in starting to build it? Oh, <laughs> that list is awfully long. Um, you know, I think one of the, I guess one of the challenges or the hardest parts there is, you know, you're trying to sell something that nobody's looking for. Uh, you know, our, our uh, culture has us very entrenched in the tricycle and bike with training wheel mm -hmm. path. And here you're trying to bring something forward that says, no, all those decades of tradition uh, really are, are misguided. And we've got this method that works much better. Um, so whenever you're trying to shift a paradigm, especially on something that has lots of nostalgia and tradition around it, um, you know, you're up against some steep odds. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, we make a product for a little tiny child, but the child is the user, but the parent is the customer. So you've got a little bit of a disconnect there. It's not like, um, you know, even kids that are six and eight years old, they can see things and they can pester their parents to, you know, buy it for them and stuff. But when parents just kind of have this preconceived idea of, well, I'll get my kid a tricycle and we'll get them a little bike with training wheels, they're not even searching for alternatives. You're really having to break through that established um, concept, I guess. And that's, that's a challenge there. So did you film your son on it to be able to market oh, yeah. in some of the places? Oh yeah, yep. So that's how the company started really. It was um, him on his bike and me with a little Sony Handycam and we'd go all around town and you know, film him jumping off curbs and riding through the woods and all over the place. And um, so very simple. Um, early on, you know, I, I had enough, enough other business experience, I guess, that I knew uh, this would have to reach beyond South Dakota if it's going to work. I mean, you've got to get really to the world or at least to the nation. Um, and the, the World Wide Web, that is... It, that's what makes it possible. You know, the old axiom of location, location, location for business, um, really the web is location, location, location mm -hmm. today. If you're not on the web, boy, you gotta be, you gotta be working your way there because that's, that's where everything happens. That is how you reach the nation and the world. Um, so right from the start, that was a focus. So we, uh, timing was good because social media was just coming about at this time so we immediately set up a YouTube channel and I'm shooting these videos and posting them to YouTube and Facebook was really starting to um, be a thing 
And it was kind of a perfect storm in that you had, um, even with the few original bikes that we got out there, you had parents really proud of their little kid um, doing amazing things on this little bike. And so they're wanting to brag about their kid on social media. So uh, it was the best word of mouth advertising that we could have ever had. And it was um, on the web so that it had reach. It went, you know, beyond the state of South Dakota in a heartbeat and, um, and then was able to point to videos and everything. I mean, it was in, so we started the company in 2007 and in 2008, um, I had a, a guy in Japan see one of those YouTube videos and buy one for his son. So, I mean, so you think about that from um, a little garage project in South Dakota and still even in 2008, I wasn't even working full time in the business. I still was working my other job. And this was like a little evening weekends project in a way I didn't have any employees yet or anything really. Um, it was just, uh, the, the reach was just amazing on what the social would do. And he's, he's, uh, he became that dad in Japan um, became one of our first international distributors and he is our to this day our franchisee in Japan and one of our largest international accounts so um, but that all came from a little YouTube video shot on a handy cam of Bodie and I uh, you know just running around Rapid City shooting videos so it's amazing how social media has changed uh, really getting products out around the world yeah. not just in, in yeah. Rapid City how many Absolutely. bikes did you sell that very first year? Oh gosh, uh, not very many. You know, we started the business in January, but we didn't actually have bikes ready to sell until November. So, you know, from the time you like form the corporation, get all the production running uh, and everything, um, we didn't have bikes till November, but I think we still sold a couple thousand um, bikes that first year and uh, and then it just you know it just kept steadily climbing so a couple thousand so, that first year how many do you sell on an annual basis now uh, we'll sell over a half a million bikes this year yep half a so, million yeah wow. yep we'll pass we'll surpass four million uh, total bikes sold this year and you talked about your distributor in Japan how many countries are you in today you know, we, uh, we say 75 that we've sold to. Um, we've got about 20 franchisees around the, around the world um, that then serve multiple countries. You know, we've got, we probably have about, you know, seven or eight main markets um, globally um, and then smaller ones, obviously. But, uh, you know, you can run into people just about anywhere who have heard a, of what a strider is or um you know it seems like where I, whenever i've been on vacation or something and um that comes up somebody will pull a phone out and show me a photo or a video of their kid or a relative or a neighbor or something that's uh had a bike i was on a motorcycle trip out in the um baja mexico um we we're out in the boonies and we ran in another group of motorcyclists and sure enough, somebody that it came up, I think I had Strider stickers on some of my stuff. Phone came out and they had to show me a video of their, of their kid riding their Strider back home. So, How'd you feel then? That has to be pretty Oh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, that's always fun to, 
Um, and what's fun is they're excited about it. You know, they're, I, I see that they've had that same great experience with their kid and they want to talk about and share it just like I had. I mean, that's what led to the business is my son and I had a really great experience with this. And, and so now people everywhere are able to have that great experience. Yeah, Ryan, I think it's pretty impressive. Uh, you came up with it really as a mechanism to help your son maneuver a little easier on the bike. And you started the corporation in South Dakota last year, 500 million bikes. Uh, and that's a heck of a lot of bikes. Uh, and then you're in 75 countries. But then you're doing something even, I would say, even more special because you're giving back as well. Can you tell us about your, your program of, uh, and your uh, foundation that you started? You bet. Yep. Um... So we started the Strider Education Foundation. This was kind of on the 10th anniversary of the company. And, um, you know, the company is pretty successful there. And we've been trying to figure out a way to make an impact kind of on the education front. Because Strider still really serves um, a, just a minority of the kids that are born every year. You know, we're still just a niche product and it's kind of... A lot of kids of um, really engaged and uh, or even like enthusiast parents or really engaged parents that are looking for these. I mean, they're actively out there looking for toys and and uh, activities that are going to kind of help advance their kids' skills. And so you you realize well, there's a whole lot of kids that aren't getting these opportunities, you know, they don't get these chances at um, riding bikes, maybe at all, and certainly not at the super young age of where Strider is working. And um, so we have been doing some work with, just through this, the company, and that started in 2014. Um, I started the Strider Rider Fund, and that's where we just earmarked 1% of gross revenue right off the top, we just earmarked for charitable purposes. Um, whether we were profitable or not, we just carved that off and said we're going to do some good with this. And, um, and so we were doing that, but then you start realizing how big the need is out there and you think, geez, our 1% is a drop in the bucket. Um, you know, we need to come up with a way where that can be like seed money and other people that like what we're trying to do can join in and help. And so... That was three years later, 2017, we started um, the Strider Education Foundation. So it's a 501c3 nonprofit, um, makes it much easier for other people to get involved and you know, magnify what we're doing, I guess. We started there the first year with the foundation. Um, you know, the foundation world's a bit different than business and, uh, and we didn't really have a good target, just wanted to try and help people and we were, looking at you know YMCA's and Special Olympics groups and just real hit and miss. And it's just uh, um, realizing that, okay, this pace is too slow. Uh, and especially when we're seeing statistics of the decline in ridership. You know, you get a lot of things happening in our world right now that um, we really felt like we could have a positive impact on, but time was of the essence, really. I mean the number of kids riding bicycles is dropping by a quarter million every year. Like in four years time, there's gonna be a million fewer kids riding bikes. Three quarters of kids in America won't ride a bike even one time this year. 
Um, for me, that's kind of hard to conceive. I mean, I grew up, I lived on my bike, um, but that is the reality here. Bicycling among kids has been on a decline for a number of years. And in, you know, and what we then also see is you got screen time that is at seven plus hours a day. That is the average for US children, seven hours a day on a screen. And you got obesity and all the associated diseases at record highs and you're looking at all these numbers thinking okay we got to find some focus here we got to turn the dial up on this program or we're not even gonna you know stop the bleeding so to speak and uh so that's where we we kind of tried to isolate the problem or or i guess the solution how how do we reach the greatest number of kids in the shortest amount of time at the youngest age possible that's like what we boiled it down to and once we had the kind of the question framed there, then the answer, you know, appears. It's like, well, we have to get into the school system. This can't be like a, an optional program. It needs to be core curriculum of the school system, and it needs to go to the youngest age possible, which is kindergarten. I mean, I'd love to get kids on bikes even younger than that, but there's no good organized nationwide structure younger than kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, we really developed a curriculum and a, and a specific product and, um, and identified a program that we're running with called All Kids Bike. And the mission there is to teach every kid in America how to ride a bike as part of kindergarten PE class. So it, um, and to do that, we've got to train the teachers. And what we're finding is we even run into PE teachers that don't know how to ride bikes. And so we're having to break through some uh, kind of insecurities there and, uh, you know, bring them up, up to speed on how to teach it and hopefully even teach them in the process and, um, and build out all of the tools they need, provide them the equipment and everything they need to be able to successfully run this in the schools. But, I mean, we want basically bikes in the schools to be as common as the basketballs and the desks and the books and everything else like you don't leave kindergarten without knowing how to ride a bike mm -hmm. um, and so at first we the grand idea um, is, is there and we're out there kind of pushing it and i'm thinking okay we gotta again my impatience just like goes back to i was too impatient to wait for my kid to learn to ride, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> always turning yes. the dial a little bit more. It's like, okay, they're not, they're not adopting it quick enough. So I, I kind of challenge the team is like, there anything in kindergarten PE that would be more valuable for a person to learn for a lifetime than how to ride a bike? And, you know, we couldn't come up with anything. Um, you know, this is um, a skill that can serve you your whole life. It gives you uh, exercise and sport and recreation, but it can even be transportation and fundamental mobility that gets you to and from work or the hospital or friends or whatever it may be. So it, it offers something beyond any other sport even that I can think of in that it is transportation and transportation's kind of fundamental in life. Right, and then with the start, did you start with one school here in the Rapid City area, or how um, did you start it with the kindergarten e class? Yep, yep. Um, we piloted a couple programs in schools here, and then, um, uh, you know, we expanded to more in the area and then other areas. We've got a good bit of the schools in western 
South Dakota all funded. Um, and, uh, you know, with Strider's network, we had a lot of, I mean, we've got a pretty good national network of, I mean, we probably have 5,000 plus dealers, bicycle shops, motorcycle shops. And um, so we had a pretty good network to start getting the word out. So, uh, you know, we expanded to other states very quickly. And now we've got, we have programs running in all 50 states. So, and we've got, I think, 500 and I think 564 schools running the program right now and a bunch more uh, currently in training. And um, so that number is rapidly increasing. That's pretty impressive. Do you have any idea of how many first time bike riders that you've been able to touch in this kindergarten program? Yeah, uh, you know, I would say the, um, I would say the vast majority of kindergarten classes the vast majority of kids don't know how to ride a bike. Um, when and I've been to school deliveries in from Florida to California to I mean all over the nation, um, and it's pretty much the same. And so that startles me also coming from the enthusiast side as you're going into a classroom of 20 to 30 kids, and you know you do a reveal with the bikes, and then the kids can get on the bikes and. There's just a handful, maybe three or four, that know how to balance. They're ready a bike. to take off. And, and this go. is in. This is just. This is without the pedals yet. This is just a balance bike, and um, and these are five and six year old kids, and they don't know how to keep the bike upright. Um, and uh, so that's that's, I guess uh, that's fun to see that we're meeting this need. It's it's startling to see that the need is so great. But it's fun to see that we have a solution for it, and then to hear back from these schools that, um, like, you know, we've had schools say, "This is the best PE program we've ever had. Uh, we would give up every other program, but this one. This we see this as not only giving them um, a life skill, but is giving them a boost of confidence that is." Uh, even spilling over into their overall engagement in school. We've had teachers talk about kids that have been um, kind of hard to reach. They just, you know, they got walls built around them for whatever reason. They can't get them to engage. And, um, and there's something about the bike that uh, they just can't, you know, their walls aren't strong enough. They want to engage with that bike. There's a desire, and I think it goes all the way to um, just instinctual, that instinct um, or uh, drive for mobility that makes us go from you know crawling to walking to running. That bike represents a continuum on that um, natural urge. And I just think that it is, um, for many kids, it's like, it, it's a game changer. They get through this and it's a struggle. I mean, they're wobbling and they're falling over and they're figuring it out. Um, but when they get it, uh, there is an elation there and a confidence boost that, um, I mean, I, I believe it's going to change the trajectory, trajectory of their whole life. Yeah, well, yeah. well, what's nice is when you and I were growing up, I think our parents probably kicked us outside to go do something, right. and we were with our friends, and if we couldn't ride a bike, we couldn't keep up with them. Right. So you had to learn right. quickly and go. You did, yeah. And for these kids now, probably being scared to death of trying something new like that, now they try yeah. something. Their confidence, they're yeah. not afraid, it, uh, the fear limit's gone, and it yeah, probably absolutely. does open that door for so many other things. Yeah. And again, for 
exercise uh, and just feeling good among themselves and that they can do the same thing that uh, the kids next yep. to them are able to do. Uh, yep. All great things. Yeah. Yep. Ryan, this is, again, uh, 500 plus schools out there that you're in. Uh, again, half million sales last year. Uh, do you have to pinch yourself saying, I can't believe this is really happening? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, usually I'm just too busy about <laughs> trying <laughs> to turn the dial. So, uh, you know, it's fun to stop and think about it every now and then. But I just, uh, you know, even I guess the whole time building the company, I was never... I never really envisioned any of this and never spent much time even worrying about it. I mean, I, I think I looked up one statistic early on and it was like, what's the birth rate in the United States? And it was 4 million. And it's like, well, plenty of opportunity. I don't have to research that anymore. I just go for it because it'll, I'll probably hit retirement before we'll hit that number. So I didn't spend much time really thinking about what it would look like. Um, I just, I just enjoy chasing after making things better uh, or perform better, work better, you know, make the company work better, make the foundation reach more schools. I mean, I, I want to hit a thousand schools. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll make it by the end of this year, but not far after that. And when we hit that one, I just, you know, I want to set my start on 2,000 and then 5,000. You know, there's 50,000 in the United States, so I got a lot of work to do. I'm running out of time. Well, when you hit 1,000, I want to celebrate with you as well, because that'd be an incredible accomplishment. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to be calling you soon. Good. So. Good. <laughs> Ryan, again, with everything that you've done, uh, and you have the warehouse right here in, in Rapid City, and how many employees do you have? Uh, we're getting close to 40 employees 40 now. employees, and yep. you've probably received all kinds of offers to move it out of state, possibly out of the country and things. Why'd you leave oh, it here in yeah. South Dakota? Um, you know, well, South Dakota's my home. I, I mean, South Dakota is, I mean, I love this state. Um, the state's been, I guess, good to me. I think this business would have been harder to get off the ground in other areas. Um, South Dakota, I guess, the politics of South Dakota is pretty free and business friendly. We're not faced with burdensome regulation, and so that helps get business going. You also have people here that are, you know, honest, hardworking people. Um, so I think, I mean, a huge part of the success of this whole thing is, you know, found great people all along the way that didn't just come in and punch a clock, but believed in. Uh, you know, the vision of what I was chasing and which I could never have chased down myself. It was that, um, you know, these people kind of caught that same vision and that same fever for pursuing it as me. And I just, so I think there's it's just solid people that live here and a good business environment to um, push forward and grow. And um, so, yeah, I do get offers. I get offers for people that just want to buy the company outright and we always get in offers but it's like I just usually reply ah, I'm still having too much fun <laughs> well thanks for not doing that because uh, we love it here in South Dakota um, Ryan another question I have for you is a lot of kids today they look at people that have been inducted in the Hall of Fame and they think they've always had it made never had a challenge in your life what do you think has been the biggest challenge you've had with Strider bikes since you started uh, yeah. 
you know, and this probably goes whether it's Strider or anything, I think is just not quitting, <laughs> not giving yeah. up, you know, um, or, or settling. Maybe that's um, more apt is, um, you know, failure and struggle, that's just part of life and that's part of, and certainly business. Business is, you know, that magnifies everything. And, um, um, you know, there's there have been thousands of days when it seemed like, ah, I don't know if it's worth it. I should just go get a, <laughs> a job and quit stressing about all this stuff. So, um, so I think that's for anybody, for my, myself personally, whether it's this business or another one, it's always been just looking forward, keep putting in the effort and the work and keep your eye on what could be and maybe not what is. And, um, and, uh, I'd say that's probably yeah. the key there. Well, that's a great yeah. example because failure and challenges will be out there for all of us. And that's what we need the young kids today to understand that they'll be out yeah. there not to throw in the towel every time something gets tough, but, uh, to work with other people and overcome those challenges that they right. have and they can accomplish anything. One last question for you. Okay. How'd you come up with the name Strider? Strider. Well, I've got a, I've got a notepad. Uh, out at my office still and so I had two partners at the start of Strider um, my dad who was retired at the time and a friend of mine Gene Woodle um, who was a patent attorney and he had worked on some other patents for me but the the three of us um, had kind of become friends and rode motorcycles together and everything so when I came up with the Strider um, I owned another business and was you know, kind of consumed there. I knew I'd need some help. So um, my dad's always good at jumping in and he likes to stay busy all the time. And so he was a perfect fit to fill in a bunch of those gaps and, um, you know, all the legal work and everything could be handled by Gene. So it was the three of us there initially. And I, we were sitting around and I had filled out all these different names and we had like, uh, you know, Ryder was a part of it. And then we had toddler rider and all these different things. And, um, and we were shortening things. So then it was T rider for toddler rider. And I don't know, there's like 50 names on the page, but somehow we just kind of brainstormed around and got to Strider. And then it just, that just really clicked. Um, so yeah, it's not like it just instantly or, Oh, comes to you. It's that matter of just, again, turn the dial. Let's not just come up with one. Let's think of 50 and let's keep chasing this. And then we'll hit on something, but let's run all these different avenues. And, and, um, but when, when we came across that one that, you know, the light bulb definitely clicked on and said, there it is. Uh, you've got rider, um, you've got stride in there describing mm -hmm. what it is. And, uh, and, uh, Kind of knew it right then. Yeah, it's a great name. It looks great on the bike, and uh, it's easy to remember as yep. well. So, yep. so you hit all yep. all three big there keys there. Yeah. So. Yep. Anything else you'd like to share with the the group about Ryan McFarland? <laughs> uh, you know, this uh, um, being inducted into the Hall of Fame is is quite an honor. Um, I, uh, it took me a little while to think about that a little bit because there again, I'm always looking out forward. I'm always thinking of all the things I haven't done yet <laughs> instead of what I have. So it was 
it's kind of fun to stop and really realize that, okay, it's, it's good to take pause and actually recognize where we are. And then maybe as part of that, then still point to all that is left out ahead of us and, and stuff. But I do absolutely want to just keep chasing what's possible out in front. So hopefully this is just chapter one and we can keep updating it and I'm sure, <laughs> over the I'm, years. I'm sure it is only chapter one. But Ryan, thank you very much for your yeah, time today. You. And I am so happy that your parents moved to South Dakota when they did. <laughs> Me too. And congratulations on your recent inductee. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.